Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the playwright Tom Stoppard. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably had at least one formative theater experience with a Stoppard play. Maybe it was the production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead you were in in college, or the day you spent marathoning the coast of Utopia, or the matinee of Arcadia that wowed you on your first trip to London. Now 85, Stoppard has written his most personal work, and it's the hit play of the season. On a Broadway where even the most successful straight plays rarely run for more than 16 weeks, Stoppard's Leopoldstadt has drawn crowds for six months and counting. With a massive cast of more than 30, Leopoldstadt tells the sprawling story of a well-off Jewish family in Vienna during the first half of the 20th century, as they confront a rising tide of anti-Semitism that they believed they, and the world, had risen above. Now, with Leopoldstadt still going strong on Broadway and sure to be a big part of the awards season conversation, Stoppard is in the virtual studio with me to talk about how theater intersects with the personal and the political and he reveals what he's finding in the audience response to Leopoldstadt that he never expected. Leopoldstadt first premiered in London in January of 2020, a year that was tumultuous. And uh, the show ran for a couple of months and then it lockdown happened and then it didn't really come back in London for uh, almost a year and a half, it seems like. And then it ran for another few months. It, yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. It feels like here on Broadway, the play is getting a run that it just the run that it just wouldn't be possible wouldn't have been ever possible for the show in london to have just given the timing of its uh of its arrival and i i imagine that must be quite yes. gratifying for you 
Well, it is indeed, because um, the reason I'm in town is to say goodbye to the first, it's still the same company mostly, but uh, tomorrow night it's going to be hello to the yeah. joiners. Um, and uh, back in back, back when we started performing in September, I would have been very grateful and pleased altogether to think that we would be doing pretty well, well enough to be still here in yeah. March. As things turned out, uh, we're extending now to the beginning of July, and I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, taken that for granted at any time. I don't know about the London experience. It's very hard to tell what would have happened but for COVID. But um, it just means that uh, one is looking back uh, at the earlier history of this play in a, in a kind of curious double standard because it seems to me like a new play and it's been around forever. Um, but it's, it's a delight to be back to see it again. I was uh, just thinking that you know, it's a it's a lot of people to to hug in this yeah. company. There's a yeah. lot of <laughs> yeah, and the director on Broadway is Patrick Marber, who also directed the show in London. But the cast you're working with is largely American. Um, I, I wonder how does how does that affect how the show plays to you? Are there moments or are there themes or ideas that kind of come to the fore in ways that they maybe didn't before? It's difficult to be sure about one's answers because one one adapts mm. so fast to anything that's mm. happening. Um, we arrived here. In fact, you know, we were still in the early days in London. And if one thought ahead to New York, mm. it was with a sense that New York might actually be the natural home for this play. Not easy to explain exactly why one had that feeling. But, um, you know, I should add in the same breath that uh, as far as I can gather, I'm, you know, as far as I'm told, um, uh, I don't know that we actually have more Jewish people in our audience than any other show, many other shows. But there's a deep feeling among the people who come up to me to talk and to the actors, very much so, that um, they connect with this play in this town in a more intense way than I experienced in London. In London, at the same time, there was you know, a sprinkling of people who came along and made themselves known, who were uh, actual survivors. Mm. Mostly, of course, it's the children and the grandchildren of survivors. But in both cities, there are still survivors. And um, so with a play, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up mm. in a minute, but I just wanted to say that the normal thing one's relationship to the audiences, um, that they express some kind of pleasure and approval. 
What's become normal with Leopoldstadt among large sections of the audience is that what they express is gratitude. Mm. And that's really quite a new experience for most writers of most mm. plays. Grat- gratitude. Mm. Thanks, for, thanks for doing this. Thank you for telling this story. You can you can see yeah, why yeah, um, and much has been made of the fact that this is a play that is inspired by your own, by your family history. Did that does that affect what it is like for you to watch the play now? Not much because I actually stepped to one side of my family mm, history. Yeah. My family history is to do with being yeah. Czech. Um, uh, and actually, my father's family uh, did live in Vienna at mm. some point. But essentially, I wasn't writing about my family until I started putting myself into the end yeah. of the play as a young Englishman. By the time well, I, I, I got to the UK when I was right. eight, and you know, by the time I was 18, I was about as English as anybody. And um, now I kind of put myself into the play aged, I don't know, 23 or something Mm. like that. Um, And uh, it's what I always intended to do, though I, before I began writing, I thought it would occupy more of the play than it actually Mm. does. You're the character, you're... Uh, for lack of a better word, stand in his his yes. journey would have been a larger part of that play. Mm. Yes, I thought it would be the second half ah. when I set off. But, um, and um, this this has happened to me quite a lot. The, the, you know, the, the 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 play changes as you're mm. writing, and it's quite it feels quite normal mm. to me that. You run out of road, in a sense. And um, here we are with a scene which takes place in 1955. I was was born in 1937. Uh, And the character comes to England when he is eight, but it's not Mm. me. Um, I came to England speaking English because I was in India for four years, whereas the character... Speak, does not speak English. He has to put on the English language, and we don't really get told too much mm. about that. But um, it's not just, you know, the whole question of biography is interesting because it's not simply a matter of what is in the history books, even in the family history. It's actually much more to do with what a person thinks, what a person's opinions are, and what a person's experiences. And mixed together, um, there's this character in my play who speaks for me. Yes. But it's not the first time it's ever happened. No, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, I I did well, I, you know, years and years ago, um, I wrote a play about a playwright, and it wasn't autobiographical. My goodness, he did speak right. for me in all kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah. 
And how did you land on, as you talked about, uh, as you mentioned, you sort of uh, sidestep your direct family history and uh, come at come at the story of the play in a, from a, a different direction. Mm -hmm. How did you settle on what that new angle would be? What felt um, fertile about uh, the path that you were taking the play on? Well, I chose a period and a place. The, the play kicks off in 1899 mm. in Vienna. And anybody who knows anything about that part of the world at the turn of the century will understand that there's an embarrassment of riches. Um, and you, you could write a play about people who were already or were to become very famous and you'd have this really embarrassing play where Marlowe was meeting Freud mm. and mm. Uh, yeah. you know Herzl was meeting Schnitzler and right. whatever. Uh, uh, the, the, the thing one has to do, uh, I think, for one's own survival is to keep them all off stage mm -hmm. if possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just kind of um, try to be to live in their atmosphere with made up mm -hmm. people. But the answer to the question is that. It's a rich field, you know, it gives you somebody to work with. Uh, and it was a great interest of mine. Um, for example, I, I didn't have to buy the books I needed much because mostly I had them on my shelves. So uh, years and years of a generalized interest in what became Leopoldstadt was working on my on my brain while I was writing other things. Right. Yeah. And was this, given its connection to your family history, was this play more any more difficult to write than previous plays, did you find? Uh, no, they're all, they're all difficult and they're all easily. They, you know, writing, uh, it's, you know, what is the next line? Um, it's neither it's neither difficult nor mm. easy because um, it's not a kind of expertise. Um, at the same time, things arrive from nowhere, and you get little presents or gifts carry you forward. I always write from page one to the end in, in that order. Um, I, I think I've, I think I've written other plays which were more difficult to write even though their subject matter was not as sensitive. Um, as a matter of fact, if you're writing about a Jewish family between 1900 through the First World War and the Second World War. Um, that, uh, that gives you a kind of ghost play before you started. That your play is in conversation with or is in reaction to, or how do you think of that ghost play as, a pair, as compared to the real play as it as it ended up manifesting. 
the, the ghost play is a kind of atmosphere. Mm. Um, you have a sense of what you yourself might work with and use if you're writing about a certain period in a certain place with a distinctive character. So um, there is a ghost play, but it's not a complete play as regards its structure and its plot. Um, you know, you're trying to find out about that while you're writing it. It's you, you're not on it. You really are not. Um, following any kind of roadmap. I used to think that that's how you did it, but it, it doesn't work as well as leaving yourself open. Um, I'll tell you what it's about. It's, it's kind of like being your own audience and wanting to surprise yourself. <laughs> um, so it's not just developing in a way that the other shoe might drop. Um, it, it may... It it, it, it it makes life uh, it's the wine of life to be writing something creative in my case probably a play so my it's 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 the best part mm -hmm. of life you're you're living on a different level you, you just take it to bed with you and you wake up with it mm. yeah um it's uh I recommend <laughs> it, by the way. Yeah. I'll have more with Tom right after the break. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, here's more with Tom Stoppard. You mentioned things that arrive uh, during the process of writing, the kind of surprises or the gifts that yeah. come. Is there one in particular that you can mm. tell us about with Leopoldstadt? I, I, I bet there are two or three. Uh, post, you know, answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, I didn't put, you know, the, the plays in five acts, <clears throat> or four mm. periods. I didn't put a lot of the characters into each one. I, I sort of leave characters out and just use the ones who were, as it were, the minimum number to carry me through. Um, and I, and then um, once the play was sort of finished, but not exactly, uh, I was being encouraged uh, by Patrick, uh, first of all, um, to bring back characters. Uh, it's not quite answering your mm. question in a way that I would have liked, but um that that was a gift to to be told look uh i liked her and i really would like her back even if you don't at the moment know what function she or he plays um i don't remember ever being actually in a situation where i was so suggestible and 
willing to take on board other people's sense of the play. When Leopoldstadt premiered in London, even at that time, anti-Semitism was returning to prominence in ways that the world, kind of like the family depicted in your play, just can't ignore yeah. anymore, right? And that um, yeah. that trend has only continued in the years since then. And even now, uh, you know, just recently, anti-Semitism showed its ugly face here on Broadway. There were reports of neo-Nazis demonstrating at the first preview of the musical Parade. And so I wonder if you could just tell us a little about, about the ways in which you think of Leopoldstadt kind of engaging with the forces uh, of anti-Semitism sort of uh, right now. What are the ways basically in which a play can be political? Yes, it's a, that's a really mm. deep, wide question. Um, and uh, I, I don't actually, first of all, I don't quite know why anti-Semitism suddenly um, seemed to have a bigger profile, first of all, in London, uh, where there was a, quite a long, long-standing fuss about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. And then we got here, and um, it seemed almost coincidental that the question of anti-Semitism became much more of a live question. Um, my impression is and was that it was a it was coincidence. We we didn't seem to be uh, have any agency about it. But it did, on the other hand, well, the audience um, brings with it whatever's in the media and in the air, I guess, naturally, one, one would expect that. Um, nothing, to my knowledge, has ever been voiced uh, against the play or the actors. If it's happened, it's happened without my being told about it. Um, I think the the thing to remember is that theatre is so much a storytelling form that if you're telling a story, the story has its own um, kind of paradigms. Uh, a story is is kind of like it's innocent. Um, it may be about ogres or giant killers or whatever, but it's the telling that is the art form, not the factual content. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I hope this isn't presumptuous to say this, but it's, it's as though um, the, the audience out there understands that they've, they've arrived at a place where artists are at work, not polemicists. There are certainly plays which blur that boundary because it's not really supposed to be a boundary. And there are many people in my world who think, in a sense, uh, drama has a duty to, to be political in, you know, using the word in the broadest way. I've never felt that plays had a duty to be um, political. 
uh, or indeed to be anything much except to um, honor the story they're trying to tell and to tell the story as well as it's possible to tell it. I'm quite conservative about theater in that respect. And I always have been. And I think of theater as being a very, very valuable form of recreation. Um, even when, you know, you might be going to uh, a tragedy, it could be whether it's Hamlet or Oedipus Rex or, or a contemporary tragedy. So when I say recreation, I don't mean escapism or entertainment. I mean, it, it's the recreational part of being a citizen. And um, theatre as a phenomenon has lasted a very, very long time. And I've lived through periods where the death of live theatre is being announced. Um, you know, uh, we all, most of it, anybody who's my age remembers how television was going to change people's habits and so on. Um, and I think theatre does change over the years. The, uh, we're getting into areas which are stray far outside your question, but um, it's noteworthy at the moment that there are very few plays which are not musicals in New York. Yes. Uh, very few. Uh, and I, I think that's a pity. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, I grew up with the idea that London and New York and pretty much everywhere else, uh, they were the, they, they, were, they, they existed in a sense to celebrate the writer. And um, there always used to be 20 straight plays and four musicals in London, mm. something like that. And now it's the other way around. And goodness knows what the proportions are on Broadway um, I would I would guess there probably 20 musicals for mm. each play mm. um, and uh, what what is what is this about well I'm trying to come clean with the reason for answering in these terms as though the book writer uh, as though theater exists to to fulfill the wildest dreams of the writer uh, rather than of the actor mm. or of the composer. And uh, that's okay with me um, because our theatre in the, in the English language goes back a few centuries and its history predates the very conception of musicals. Mm. So I think I'm talking around the fact that I'm no good at musicals, so I don't see why right. <laughs> I don't right. see why there should be so many of them. I wouldn't have the faintest idea how to write one. And I do and I do admire the ones I see right. mostly. One of the uh we've alluded to this a couple of times in our conversation uh but one of the notable things about this production of Leopoldstadt is that there are almost 
40 actors in it, which is a very rare thing uh, on on Broadway in particular these days. Yeah. And I wonder if you could yeah. tell us a little bit about why that scope was important to you in terms of how you told that story. I'm sure there there's another version of this play that, you know, could have an eight actor cast of, you know, double casting or triple casting or whatever. What what felt integral to your story that it have the kind of scope and sweep that it does? What actually happened was that uh, uh, I was given an opportunity to write pretty much anything I liked without having to be too aware of the constraints. Uh, this was because, and you'd have to ask her, but Sonia Friedman, who is the producer of Lear, was that she... She asked me to write a play, and she made it clear that I could do it without constraint mm. and just worry about it later. Mm. So I did. It wasn't honestly that I set out thinking that uh, this play I'm now going to try to write requires a very broad canvas with dozens of characters and so on. Um, it's just that I was free of inhibitions. And I don't think the situation is quite as awful as you thought. I don't think it's 40. It might be, I think there's 30 actors. But then yeah, there's they're kids, yeah. No, I think I was just, I was adding all yeah. the... <laughs> they're actors too, and you have to have two of, of course. them for each yeah. character. Uh, in London, it was three, mm. by the way. Um, so in London, there were like 18 little children backstage on certain days. Uh, look, um, being allowed all these characters uh, makes it a bit easier to deal with the structure, with the thought. You're trying to tell the story of this family over these years with, a, let's say, only eight actors instead of 28. Um, you probably have to be cleverer and more discriminating. Um, but I find it just... Just the sight of them on stage, I find it so moving um, to think that this form of theatre is, is I'm touching wood here, is alive and well, uh, at least occasionally and in certain parts of the, of the landscape. I don't think it's, it's as alive and well as it used to be when I was young. The when you write, do you how how do you think about the feeling or the experience that you want the audience to have had by the end of that play? How how do you how is your writing process in conversation with the uh, ways in which you hope or intend an audience to experience the story that you're telling? Um. Well, I've got to work out an answer just as you do because it's not something which is determining my mm. writing. Um, uh, I think that um, the, the, the profoundest sense I've always had is that the audience owes you nothing. Um, they've volunteered to be here in this big room 
paid for the privilege, they've volunteered to be here. And the thing is that they're free to leave any time they like. And this is what I meant about it being a storytelling art form. I remember seeing a professional storyteller once in what in Iran. It was so long ago, it was called Persia in Iran. And I listened, there's a small crowd collected around the storyteller. And I very quickly understood that they all knew the story. And which struck me as quite a kind of significant perception for me. Uh, that it wasn't a kind of story as revelation. It was storytelling as confirmation. So you've, you've got all these, you've tempted all these people to come to the theater and you start telling this story. Of course, they don't know the story uh, in a certain sense. They're not familiar with the details. But um, as things develop, uh, the story begins to be known in a very curious sense. It becomes a reflection of life outside, life that you live. So it takes on a kind of shape and a future which might be um, confirmed or, or you might be disappointed, but it takes on a kind of shape which is to do with here's a story. I'm kind of babbling now, aren't I? Let me tell you one thing, then, so just to stop myself <laughs> babbling. Um, in, um, in my Pele approach, that, uh, and I would like to say, this might be surprising, so I'll just put in parentheses that although it's um, ultimately about kind of like the worst awful subject that mm. there is and the Holocaust, but it's, the entire play is not about that. And the, the play starts much, much earlier in history and people are having a kind of family nice time and so forth. Um, but just to try to explain the answer to you, that mm. question you asked, um, so there's a woman who has an adulterous affair at a certain moment um, and I wonder, I wonder whether this makes me sound rather cynical I don't think it's cynical but what, what actually happens is you get to the end of the scene before that and you think well you know I'm the audience how can I ambush them? You have to ambush them, not just fulfill an expectation. So at that point, I decided she was going to actually be an adulteress. It sounds terrible to even say it like that. Um, but I'm trying to explain something which probably I should keep as a kind of secret, which is that there's a very pragmatic, empirical objectifying way of doing art. It isn't actually all about going into a trance and emerging with a truth you weren't aware of. There's something empirical about it. Um, something slightly cold-blooded about it. You're manipulating the people you've created. And at the same time, 
you're, you're kind of using and converging on deeply emotional truths which are then being are they being served by the manipulation or are they determining the, the, the manipulation and finally is it manipulation if there's only one possible way this thing can go at this moment in other words the whole business of first of all being a playwright but actually being an artist um, I think uh, is, is, is too deep and difficult to satisfactorily dispose of in any kind of interview, uh, even one as generous as this one. Um, if I sat down to write my answers, they, they, they would be very long because they would qualify themselves as I went along. You have said in the past that Leopoldstadt may be your last play. It sounds like maybe you're now reconsidering. What, what's the what's the status of how you're thinking about uh, Leopoldstadt and whatever work may well, come it's, I, Reconsidering is not the no. word I would use. I am driving myself oh. daft and furious and upset because I can't find the play I want to write. I definitely want to I'm a much happier person if mm -hmm. I'm writing. And for the last several months, I've been failing despite a very conscious, self-conscious attempt to find a play to write. Don't send me one that ever <laughs> works. Uh, well, we will look forward to seeing what comes next from you once you find it and then uh, write it. Um, and we oh, hope enjoy your visit you. here in New York uh, this time around. And I imagine you will be back in, in July, if not before. Um, so, uh, yeah. Thank you very much for nice yeah. conversation. Sorry no, I that's, 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 that's why you're here. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tom. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Tom Stoppard, whose play Leopoldstadt is now on Broadway in a run currently scheduled to conclude July 2nd. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the pod purveyors, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.